uh, our coming here tonight, make it, may Allah Azza wa make this a means of uh, all of us becoming reignited with the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, with the love of the Qur'an, with the attachment of the Qur'an. May Allah allow us to understand the apparent meanings of the Qur'an and the deeper meanings of the Qur'an. And may He make our sitting here a means of enjoying His choicest blessings. Amin Rabbil Alameen. We should also all renew a niyyah that whatever we are listening to, Ya Allah, we're listening with the intention of practice. That whatever we hear, inshallah, we will try our best to uh, put into amal. And number two, uh, whatever we hear also, we also make intention to propagate it to others. Additionally, let us also take a moment and make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Ya Allah, whatever situation I am going through in my life right now, make this dars uh, a means of answering all my questions, removing all my doubts. And allow me to, whatever situation we may find ourselves in our life at the moment, Allow us to hear such things that will give us guidance in that regards. So a few moments of dua on that, inshallah, will give us exactly what we all need. والتي أحصنت فرجها فنفخنا فيها من روحنا وجعلناها وابنها آية للعالمين إن هذه أمتكم أمة واحدة وأنا ربكم فاعبدون وتقطعوا أمرهم بينهم كل إلينا راجعون فمن يعمل من الصالحات وهو مؤمن فلا كفران لسعيه وإنا له كاتبون وحرام على قرية أهلكناها أنهم لا يرجعون حتى إذا فتحت يأجوج ومأجوج وهم من كل حدب ينسلون واقترب الوعد الحق فإذا هي شاخصة أبصار الذين كفروا يا ويلنا قد كنا في غفلة من هذا بل كنا ظالمين إنكم وما تعبدون من دون الله حصب جهنم أنتم لها واردون. After mentioning all the stories of the prophets, Allah Azza wa Jal ends the the discussion with the or the stories of the prophets with one of the stories of one of the awliya, the pious, most pious of women. And one thing Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions regarding all the prophets that we spoke about. In the past few weeks, Allah says, "Innum kanu yusari'oon fil khirat." Every single one of them were were trying to exceed and hasten in good deeds. And number two, number two, they would call upon us with hope, as well as fear and awe, and they were ever humble before us. So we learn from this that the the uh, we'll hear this many times today, inshallah, is that the criteria for success in the eyes of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is. Iman and a'mal al-saliha Good uh, faith and good deeds 
regardless if a person doesn't have this and he has everything else then no matter what the world may see according to Allah Azza wa Jal he's a failure we have to tell ourselves repeatedly this, this idea because uh, consistently we are being told otherwise we're being taught otherwise just like a parents teach their children that um, being the biggest bully on the, on the, uh, you know, re, uh, in the playground is not the sign and a good sign of success Although maybe some of the kids would, would love to see that And they'll rile around the one who is a, uh, physically strong, tall And the one who is mean to others and he's able to get his way Say, oh wow, this guy is worthy of looking up to But what do we, we learn from here is that uh, we, what, what do as parents, what do we say? No, no, that's not a criteria of success Who cares what people say? But they're all riling around me They were uh, booing the other guy And they were clapping their hands around me And so they'll say, no, this is not the criteria of success Look at your grades uh, look at your, look at your uh, report card That you got to make sure Look at your Is there any f- character flaws you have Work on that So just like we teach our youngsters About what is success and failure in school We have to learn our own lesson That success and failure Is not what the world tells us to be Which is in the amount of degrees we have The amount of wealth we have The amount of uh, clout we have on earth This is what we're told all the time you have the, um, the, the guide to being a successful human being, guide to being a successful businessman. You'll have workshops, seminars on how to be successful. Success stories, success gospel. Oh, what is that all telling us? It's all about uh, the more wealth, the more, the more clout, the more money, the more contacts, the, the, more, the more successful a person is. It could be that those things are present, but that according to in the eyes of Allah Azza wa Jal, that's not success. In the eyes of Allah Azza wa Jal, iman and a'mal salih. So you look at the prophets, they're the chosen people, the best of the past. What do they have? Even though they're so close to Allah, musar'a fil khayrat, always exceeding one another in doing good. Right? Trying to outdo one another, trying to be ahead of the game in doing good deeds. This is what we see as a sign of. of uh, being close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It never happens that a person says, I'm so close that I don't need to do any good deeds anymore. This is foolishness for a person to think like that. Um, the more a person is closer to Allah, the more he is thinking about how he can do good deeds. Sometimes you hear about people, pious people after they pass away, all the hidden good deeds. Um, I was, yesterday I was just reading about one individual, one young uh, brother who passed away, subhanAllah. Um, who was a cardiologist and he died out of a sudden you know, heart attack right? leaving behind eight children and so the story mentions that you know, we didn't know about this but the one who was writing about it says that um, every single time anytime we'd make a post online about so and so person in distress so and so whose family member passed away we share a sad story about someone passing away he said this individual would be the first one to private message me and would say, how can I quietly help the family? And he says, at the young age of 42, he passed away. Or 41, 42. SubhanAllah, like, you know, the goodness of this person. Imagine, when you read about this, you think how it's so touching, heart touching when you see such people that again and again, quietly, without anyone's knowledge, they were the first ones to approach and to say, how can I help? We, just read, we also heard about uh, Mufti Rafi, rahimahumullah. Uh, recently I came across someone's mentioning that is one of his, one of his sons I think mentioned that uh, this is something that no, people are not aware of but the chief mufti of Pakistan said uh, although he was the principal of the madrasa and well known for all these things but someone didn't, people did not know this action that uh, privately what he would do is he would find out if there's any you know many of the teachers they're obviously staying in the rented homes 
and they are not they're not going to be earning enough to purchase their own so he said as a not as the as a relationship of an employer employee uh, nor as a uh, as a principal and a representative of the madrasa but as an individual who has friends he would reach out to them privately and say if if you are willing to or interested in donating towards purchasing a house for my for the staff members and this way without anyone's knowledge he was able to allow alam help and you know get so many ulama get their own houses and similarly you hear about other ulama as well that when they would see you only find out find out about these stories after the, after they pass away that any child in distress any person in need any student in need they would go reach out to them and financially assist them although uh, it's, as a as a principal or as a teacher maybe that's not expected or demanded from them they have so many other things to do but they quietly go do these type of things so when we hear such stories it's so heart touching right we we ask that ya allah allow us to become like this that when we pass away then our stories come out right so now if we don't we have to have stories for them to come out <laughs> we actually have to have something for it to come out no one's going to make things up and so that's why they say that they should, we should all have something that no one besides allah azza knows right there's got to be a, a secret a secret that will only get exposed after we're dead and we should all think about that like you have a treasure chest you go hide somewhere that you pull out only at the time of need so we all need to be hiding some treasures right in the somewhere or another with people inside the ground that this treasure chest will only come out for us in once we are in the grave people will come to find out about it our children will come to find out about it after we're gone when people come and say hey your father was like this your mother was like that so it's subhanallah it's it's we have an opportunity right now we're still alive as i'm saying this we're we're listening to this that we all need to have these quiet behind the scenes investments of not only money but of anything else that will be of helpful of helpfulness to us inshallah when we leave this world so this, the anbiya as, as, as honorable as they were as close to Allah as they were but they would compete with one another exceed and compete musara'a in doing good deeds what else they used to do and then they would call upon Allah lots of dua lots of supplication alright but when you're supplicating to Allah in what state you have hope also and you have fear you have hope and fear both things are necessary when dealing with Allah azza wa jal al-imanu bayna raja'i wal khawf iman is between hope and fear some of the ulama explained three components of raja of hope and they have said it is shawq khawf and amal shawq khawf and amal number 1 shawqan ila al-marju to have a desire to gain that which you are hope have hopes for number 2 khawfan min fawtihi have fear that you're going to miss out on achieving and gaining this prized item and number 3 amalan litahsilihi working hard to attain this you know, coveted thing. So three things, a desire to walk towards and run towards this item that you, or this thing or this individual that you have hope from. Number two, khawf, fear from missing out. And number three is the uh, actions that will lead a person to achieving it eventually. So, فَكُلُّ شَيْءٍ تَرْجُوهُ لَبُدَّ أَن تُحَبُّ For everything that you have hope for, then you must love to attain it. And you must be afraid of missing out and not reaching it and not attaining it. And most definitely you need to be working hard to achieve it. So if a person says, I have hope for Jannah, but does not have the desire for it, does not have the fear of losing on out on it, and doesn't do actions to gain it, then this is fake. 
This is what we call Laysa bi amaniyikum wala amani ahlil kitab This is what we call amani useless hopes False False uh, you know, uh, ideas that you have that we, ha- we have in our mind. A person, if we really want Jannah, if we really want the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then we have to do the actions that will lead us to it. You know, the ulama sometimes have explained, you may have heard before here as well, that uh, in, in a nutshell, what is this whole life on earth about? Life on earth, if you, in, in one way of looking at it, the entire beginning to end existence of ours on earth is. So that on the day of judgment, when we are headed where we're headed, we will know why we are where we are. That's it. So when you arrive in wherever direction you and I are going to go, when we're sitting there, it shouldn't be like, wait, why am I here? How did I end up here? And the answer will be, اقرأ كتابك, read your book. Read your book of deeds. You don't need angels, you don't need Allah. Allah says, you yourself are a sufficient judge today. You don't need any help. So you know, when a person gets to Jannah inshallah, he should know why he's in Jannah. Or Allah forbid someone gets to hellfire, he should know why he's in hellfire. If he didn't do, if he, this life on earth from A to Z, you'll have a, you'll, the, whole, the, uh, the whole beginning to end, the whole video movie reel will play in front of you. So a person can't really say anything, that why am I here? And so this is such an important yani, point to remember, and, and re-remember every day and remind ourselves that I am on earth to prove to myself why I deserve what I will get tomorrow. I'm on earth to prove to myself why I deserved what I got tomorrow on the Day of Judgment. So if you think about this today, how did we spend our day? How did we spend last night and the day before? The week, this month, this year, this decade? Each person needs to judge himself or herself on that. They say, based on my actions, where am I headed? And so don't complain. A person who is studying all night, and the person who is playing basketball and football and games all night, tomorrow morning's got an eight o'clock exam. I mean, there's no, there's no brainer what's gonna happen. The one who studied, he knows what he's getting. And the one who played, it's a no brainer that you're gonna fail. And don't complain about it. That's exactly what you deserve. Why did you expect anything else? There you go. So this applies to not just dunyawi exams, the major akhirah exam and the questions of the grave. That our dunyawi life is going to be the reason why we go where we go. When a person remembers this point, what we were just saying, hopefully if you remember this every day, it will force us to say, oh my God, I better stop. I better stop because I'm proving my own self. Allah forbid to be worthy of Jahannam. I can't do that. I cannot make my own actions push me into hellfire. I have to lead such a life that will push me towards Akhirah. So the Anbiya along with running towards good deeds, they had this amazing balance of, of absolute hope in Allah, which is not just false hope, desire, fear of losing out, and action. And number two, rahaba, also afraid that what if their good deeds don't get accepted. And then Allah again mentions thus they were ever humble before us. Being humble in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is such an important thing. This is, gonna, this is gonna be a component of what we're gonna speak about in the next day as well. That when, there is a problem that when a person thinks he's done everything, then what happens? Shaitan, of course, he doesn't want to let us go. So after doing all the good deeds, and after doing, making sure, and after we made sure that we're humble, oh, sorry, we're, we made sure we're afraid of Allah's punishment, and we're hopeful of Allah's reward, and we say, Alhamdulillah. Like, you know, you lock everything, you put everything away, you feel like, okay, everything is safe and sound. But there's always one thing left over. Shaitan comes in the next thing. What does he do? He tries to create kibr. He tries to create ujub. He tries to create a per- within a person this state of self-conceit. Where he feels like, I'm so great. I've worshipped Allah like no one else. I've done more ibadah than no one else. 
I have this, I am so punctual and XYZ things. Look at the rest of the people. They're not punctual, they can't do basic things. I'm consistent while they're not consistent. So what happens? This is another attack. It's so scary. When a person says, I'm, I have no motivation I'm, I'm, uh, for anything besides the p- pleasure of Allah. Really, tell me, where is my ulterior motive in what I'm doing? I'm being as sincere as possible. And I'm telling you this. It could be that you're, attacked, you're being attacked by the f- mere fact that you're thinking of yourself to be sincere. That itself could be the craziest attack. SubhanAllah, isn't that scary? Just for a person to be thinking they're sincere is a problem. We're supposed to ask Allah for sincerity while always thinking that we're the most insincere. So we have to ask Allah, Ya Allah, create some amazing levels of sincerity within me without ever allowing me to think of myself as sincere. Because as soon as I think that I have no ulterior motive besides Allah, you know it, prove it to me. Have I, made, have I do anything else? And then and the guy is like, yeah, you're right. You know, you must be very sincere. Okay, let him think that. But if you and I start thinking that we are sincere, game over. That's why there's a saying, all people are on the verge of destruction except for those who have knowledge. And all the people who have knowledge and are, are, are gonna go to, are in destruction except for those who have practice on the knowledge that they have. And all those who practice on the knowledge that they have, they're also on the verge of destruction except for those who have sincerity. And even those who not who think of themselves as sincere, but they are actually are sincere, they are also on the verge of destruction, major destruction, because that sincerity which is at, at this any moment right now that we currently have can be gone in the next second. Can be gone in the next second. A person says that I'm doing this for the sake of Allah, I'm gonna come to speak to you, or I'm gonna go to such and such city for doing some dini work. And a person then at that time says, Yeah, yeah, no problem, and here's a thousand dollars. Now one second. One second. Now ask yourself, if the person says, oh, that was an accident text I sent you. Now what will happen? If the level of excitement is not the same, where's our intention? Isn't that scary? The niya was pure, and the niya got messed up within a second. That's how dangerous this stuff is. Ikhlas comes and goes before we, quicker than the blink of an eye. That's why even if someone who is sincere, there's absolutely no guarantee that the sincerity will remain. And Allah doesn't look at what happened throughout the whole life. What counts is when the buzzer rings. When the death rattle begins, do you have sincerity or not? That is what counts. That is why subhanAllah, we're reading today, that Abdullah ibn Umar, Abdullah ibn Umar was having a talk with the son of Abu Musa Ash'ali both speaking. And one of them says, uh, do you know what my father... Uh, my father and your father had a discussion. My father and your father had a discussion. He said, what was that discussion? He said, the discussion was uh, <clears throat> that uh, Abu Musa Ash'ari said that I have, uh, you know, I, I have, or whoever spoke first, that Umar al maybe have said first, that I wish that whatever I did with, whatever we did with Rasulullah gets accepted. Great. And whatever happens after that, I don't mind if I don't get any reward for it as long as I don't, as I don't get held up for it. And as long as, I don't, as long as I am not made responsible for it. Kafafan, ra'san bi ra'san, equivalent. As long as my good and my bad cancel out, I'm good. Abu Musa Ash'ari said, what? No, no, no. That's not, that, that's not me. I want to get whatever we got with Rasulullah no problem. But I have high expectations of what we did after Rasulullah passed away. We fasted, we prayed, we, we performed jihad. We did huge sacrifices. And I want to get the reward for that. Umar said, okay, as for me, no. 
I'm, I will, I'd rather just have what, was, what I did during the time of Rasulullah So the two sons are speaking about that after the demise of their fathers. So then Abu Musa Ashari's son listens to what Abdullah ibn Umar says, and he says, wow, what your father said is deep. And he said, he tells Abdullah ibn Umar, your father, inna baka khayrun min abi. Your father was definitely better than my father. And there's no doubt about it. Umar al-Lan is Umar al-Lan. Right? What, why did I, what was so deep about this hadith? It's because Umar radiallahu anhu is saying, yeah, Abu Musa, you're right. We did a lot. We all did lots of fasting, a lot of sadaqah, a lot of jihad, everything after Rasulullah passed away. Definitely. <laughs> and Umar radiallahu anhu, ya Allah, he became the, the most well-known khalifa, right? For, for all the, in the administrative aspects of what he, what he was able to achieve in his reign was unmatched by in, in any standard. He's, he's saying, I will take all of that like volume. Like the, you have a volume of everything you did after Rasulullah passed away. It's filled with thousands and thousands of pages of good things. But he's afraid of the few pages of mistakes that may be in there. So he says, I'd rather that page, that entire volume be discarded. And say, okay, you know what, we're not going to look at it. Let's just take the volume that I had with, in the company of Rasulullah That's all I want. Because what happened afterwards, even though the whole world till today speaks about Umar anhu and talk about his accolades, and we're all like in awe of what he was able to do, and the type of personality he had, and the type of humility and humbleness, and, and, and everything else, mashallah, that he had. But look at his fear of Allah. Look at his fear of ikhlas. He's saying that with all the good that I did, I'm afraid that there are things hidden inside that volume that I won't be able to answer for. So I'd rather the whole thing gets thrown out. And whatever I, was, I did with Rasulullah's time, that should get accepted. Why? Because Rasulullah through his barakah, even if what we did was less, he will be able to cover it up for us because of his presence there. Like the beautiful Imam Ali Qari said something beautiful. He says, you have an Imam, Al-Imam Udamin. There's a hadith, Imam is responsible. Indeed, the Imam has been made to be followed. So if the Imam is performing salah, and a muqtadi in the back, if he makes a mistake, does he do his own sajda to sahu? No, he doesn't. Because you're following behind the Imam. The Imam absorbs whatever you're doing. Right? And if the Imam makes a mistake, then everyone has to... I didn't forget it, but you did. But if the Imam made a mistake, then everyone has to do this sajda to sahu. Right? So the Imam is, is, is this huge, yani vast uh, well that takes in everyone behind. So Nabi ﷺ was the Imam for all of us, but he was a living Imam amongst the Sahaba. So his presence there is such that it would take in any mistakes of the Sahaba. Isn't that amazing? What Mullah says, it would take in any, any, any type of mistake. That, or uh, you know, not exact 100% that maybe did 99% okay 1% Rasulullah is taking it in his presence itself is sufficient to make their records clean Allah will not punish them as long as you are amidst them and there are so many other verses and a hadith regarding this and the status of the sahaba is well known part of our aqidah so Umar radiallahu anhu is saying that. Umar radiallahu anhu is saying, well, let's look at the good deeds that we did afterwards. But Umar radiallahu anhu, whose foresight and his closeness to Rasulullah is obvious, including the place where he's buried. And so he had, there's so much depth into that. What I'm, why I mention this story is the closer you get to Allah, the closer you get to Rasulullah the more deeper understanding of you have what khushu' means. The deeper understanding you have of what fear and awe means. The deeper understanding you have of what it means that you're afraid that your deeds don't get accepted. It's crazy. Like, you know, when people who have a true, true ta'aluk ma'Allah, and they, they're not faking it. When they say, make dua, I become sincere. They're not faking it. They really genuinely think that they're not sincere. They genuinely are afraid their actions are going to get thrown away. Alright, so this is what we should never fall for. Should never, we should always t- t- turn to Allah in, good, uh, in hope 
as well as in fear. We should run and be the first one to do good deeds. And at the, at the, lastly, never allow ourselves to get ahead of ourselves, thinking that we are very sincere and we're chosen people. Always have khushur. Then Allah Azza wa mentions Maryam alayhi salam. He says, moreover, mention the tidings of Maryam. فَنَفَقْنَا فِيهَا مِنْ رُوحِنَا What was the most important thing? Allah, that she safeguarded her chastity. Right, so this is, yani, when, this is what's so important. We're not being, we're not being uh, misogynist, we're not being sexist over here. We're c- come taking from the verses of the Qur'an. When the Qur'an speaks about women, look at this, talk about men after men, there nowhere is this mentioned. As soon as a lady comes in, Allah Azza wa Jal mentions, Ahsan farjaha, safeguard her chastity. Allah Azza wa Jal, what does He mention regarding the Hur of Jannah? What is beauty? What is the criteria of beauty? Allah mentions, wherever He mentions about Hur, the beautiful dazzles of Jannah, what does He talk about that? What does he say? He says, مَقْصُورَاتٍ الْخِيَامِ They're hidden inside their tents. He says, قَاصِرَاتُ tarf. He says, their, their eyes are, they're looking down. They're not looking up, not looking at people. They've got their eyes cast down. Third thing, لَمْ يَطْمِثْهُنَّ ins. No human being has ever touched them. وَلَا جَانْ No jinn has ever touched them. So you see in Surah Rahman, as well as other places where hur are mentioned, haya modesty is regarded as the number one trait of beauty for women. So this is, this is now completely contrary to the narrative of what we have today. And one is the narrative that other cultures, other societies, other religions have. But well, Allah, what has happened to the Muslim Ummah? The Muslim Ummah begins to think that this is also now the criteria of, of beauty. Is that how, how attractive, how, Allahu Akbar, how attractive a person can be to the world. Now you see the whole hijab industry, how it's been manipulated. Scarf and hijab, inna Allahu You have models for them. You have catwalks for them. You have Instagram accounts for them. You have absolutely ma'ilat, mumilat, as Nabi Ali has spoken about. Curse upon those women who walk in a swaying manner and use their walk to be able to sway the attention of others. He said, Nabi Sallallahu cursed such people. You're seeing that not on a catwalk with you know non-Muslim women, you know, in half clo- in half-naked bodies. No, we're talking about catwalks with hijab, catwalks with jilbab. This is this in this manner. So we have really been taken for a ride by Iblis and his cronies from the humans that our women and men begin to think that this is some sort of uh, you know, sign of progress. We want progress. Progress means if we can get the front picture of a man or a woman in any state, on any magazine, we're successful. Really? On any magazine. Brother, this is not the criteria of success. People are so excited that such and such women's picture came on a modeling magazine. This is something to cry about. Not to think that this is a sign of success, that we've gotten into the arts, we've gotten into the film, we've gotten into music world, we've gotten into uh, you know, rap, we've gotten into modeling, we've gotten here and there. This is the average Muslim and Muslimah today, I think so, is so proud of these so-called achievements that we have, we have been able to break the brown barrier, break the Islam barrier, and get into places where others have not gotten into. Why are you going to stop? Then you would want to, you want, we should wish all the way that you become the absolutely, you know where I'm going. Go into that, go into that type of modeling as well. 100% naked, mod, you know, a naked type of model. Why don't that? There's, there's, there's a heroes in that. So then is that something that we're going to be looking for our women and our girls and our men to get into to say this is a sign of success? Because there are genuinely people who think that's successful too. So where do we stop? We have, uh, we have to make sure what is successful and what is success and what's failure. Our understanding of that is completely ingrained and connected and reserved with what Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa shared with us. This doesn't make sense. We're, so now people think that 
Why is it modesty always spoken about with women? Modesty is for both men and women. Allah speaks about men that they need to lower their gaze. Allah told the women they need to lower their gaze. Allah Azza wa told the men and women separately in Surah An-Nur that they both need to protect their private parts. But yet, you see here, from all the sifat of Maryam, you, we've, we've covered in this tafsir session the entire Surah Maryam. Entire Surah Maryam. And you'll see over there as well, how much emphasis is placed on the fact that she was chaste. And the fact that she was the worst cry, the worst feeling that she had. The, it's such, Ya laytani mittu I wish I was dead. I wish I was dead. And I wish I was forgotten and people forgotten that I was even ever existed. Not that level of forgetting me, forgetfulness that people should be overcome with, that they should never even remember. Even after mentioning my name, they shouldn't know who I was. Why? Because she was being accused of zina. She said, why do you have the son? That sin, that accusation was so heavy on her that it was the worst possible thing that a lady could ever take. Where is that fear that must, for us? And our, where's our ghayrah? Where is the ghayrah of men and women? SubhanAllah, women may be misled through uh, emotionally you know, being attracted to some place. But what about the ghayrah of the man? What about the ghayrah of the man that he allows his daughter? You know, SubhanAllah. And I will add over here that the, the, big, the big chunk of this fault is really on the parents. Because they, haya is something you, you take on from your, from, your, from your environment and your elders. Like akhlaq, like character, like language, like all these other things. Understanding of what is modest and what's not is something that is passed down from your elders. When a person dresses, your neighbors, non-Muslim neighbors, they will be, little, little kids will be wearing you know, in the summer very inappropriate clothing. So what happens from the age two and three, they make them comfortable with having their body exposed. So now when that same person is now 17 and 18, feels absolutely uh, no remorse or shyness or awkwardness to walk around the grocery store, walk around in an airport with one, nine, you know, one tenth of the body covered. Won't feel any, any guilt. Because why? They've become desynthesized to it over time. Well, that's unfortunately what Muslim parents are doing as well with their children. Not to this degree, some of them may be doing to this degree, but it's that fact that we don't cover up our kids properly. Subhan, some people bring them to the masjid, some people at home too. And I don't know, you know, sometimes you don't know a person, you don't want to upset them. But the way our children unfortunately come dressed is, is very inappropriate. And so if you are listening to me, and you, you do this, then wake up. You know your siblings do this, then wake up, wake them up. You know, you, you know your children do this, wake them up. Idea is, think that subhanAllah, this girl, she's maybe three or four. Yes, she doesn't have to wear a niqab or hijab or gloves right now. Yeah, I understand that. But it's about what do you get accustomed to. If she sits there and says, you know, if a little child starts becoming disrespectful, what do you do? You don't just give them a blind eye. If she calls you, you say, no, but you're not married right now. You need to be respectful to your husband or wife later on. Right now you can do whatever you want. That's not what we say. We have to make sure that if this child is disrespectful now, is not corrected, this is going to be stuck with them for the rest of the life. So when we are choosing dresses for our children, please do not dress inappropriately. Right? This is the issue. If you as a mother who are listening to me would not dress like this in public, for Allah's sake, don't dress your four-year-old daughter like that either. Don't say, no, this is just time to enjoy. So you go enjoy. This is what I fear. It's a lot of this, it's, 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 it's the, the desire that's of the parents or of the women being placed on the child. That I can't dress like this, I can't wear tights. Or I should, why would you want to wear tights outside in the first place? Why? What makes you want to do these type of things? And where is that haya? Subhanallah. Why do you want your tight-fitted body to be you know, seen outside? That, that haya is missing. That's haya is missing. So now when taking that, okay, you say, I can't do that. I have to wear a jilbab. So now my three-year-old is going to wear that. No. Our two, three, four-year-old should not be wearing like this. 
Should wear a dress. Was this where tights and pants worn uh, hundred years ago by non-Muslims? No, there was no concept of this. This is all the filth of the modern era. All, it's not just LGBTQ. We always talk about that. Soon that's not going to even be discussed. But we're talking about that right now. But what about this other stuff? Where did we get to LGBT? Because zina became common. That's why we got there. If zina was not happening, that wouldn't happen. The, 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 the widespread committing of zina within the Muslim community is something we don't talk about. But that is what's leading the doors to everything else. If zina wasn't happening and people were not watching haram, then a, a chunk of what, what we're seeing today would not be there. A big chunk of it. That's a byproduct of this. This is the major sin first. If we don't get rid of this major sin and we're talking about the other things, this is just being, you know, choosing, uh, choosing, uh, you choose something from the Quran and you leave out from the Quran. Since when does this become haram and that becomes it's okay? Because it's very common. Exactly how zina has become acceptable in many circles because of it being so common. Similarly, what will definitely happen to LGBTQ as well. And has already happened in certain places. If we don't speak about the foundations that the loss of haya is causing all of these problems. Bring haya back into the men. Bring haya back into the women. Bring haya back into the parents. And as moms and dads, we have to ensure that we, we choose most appropriate dressing for our children. When a child is given these type of inappropriate clothes, your short sleeves, open hair, tight pants, as a four-year-old, is it haram? I'm not saying it's haram. How do you expect when she becomes baligha that all of a sudden she's going to start dressing appropriately? It's unfair for her. Because we made her accustomed to this type of clothing. And now at the age of 12, 13, 11, we say, no, change it. She says, no, I've been wearing this all along. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you not telling this to my brother? Why are you telling this to me? Why do I have to cover? The same reason that we say that boys are not going to wear scarf. And the women have to wear a scarf. If this is if this is going to be a problem for you, then we're in big trouble. You wouldn't say that at the age of fifteen. Well, then don't say that at the age of two either. They are both standards are different, and Allah Azza wa Jal has made her special. That's what we call aura and aura. Aurat. What is aurat in Urdu? Means aura. Aura is something which is protected, which is saved, which is taken, you know, and 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 away from the eyes of the people. Allah Azza wa Jal has made this woman. has given her an amazing status. And Allah Azawajal does not want the praying eyes of men to look at her unnecessarily, unless it's allowed, unless it's a mahram or is married, etc. So, beloved friends, please understand that when the women are praised in the Quran and when the women are praised in Hadith, they are attached with haya. And the lack of haya, no matter how beautiful she is, how successful, how, many, how much education, how many degrees, if haya is not there, in the eyes of Allah, not beautiful. And if haya is present, and they don't have all the other things that maybe others may have. But inshallah, I promise you in the eyes of Allah Azza wa Jal, these are the most beautiful people. As mentioned by Quran itself. Two qualities that I said to keep on, we're going to hear today. One is, A'mal iman and second one is, A'mal salihah Allah says, He, he uh, breathed into her the womb of, of, the, uh, of, of uh, Isa alayhi salam's spirit. And then Allah Azza wa made her and her son, both the sign of the people of the world. Then Allah Azza wa says, Indeed, all of these prophets that you've been hearing about, Ummah al-Wahida, this is uh, all. This is all one Ummah, and I am your Lord to so worship me alone. So one is Allah Subhanahu wa Taala speaking to the prophets that from Adam alayhi salam till Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. From Adam alayhi salam till Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, all the prophets have the same religion. All of them, from Adam till every single Ummah of every single prophet was a Muslim Ummah. Right? They were all Muslims. All the Anbiya were Muslim and their followers were Muslim. The usul and the basic foundations were always the same. The Sharia may have changed, but the foundations 100% were same. So this is not a new religion we come with. Allah says, uh, However, the succeeding generations got into different groups. So you have 
you know, Christians and Jews and Muslims. Then you have, of course, hundreds of different types within the Muslim community and the Christians and the Jews. And just then after that, you have offshoots. You have the polytheists who were maybe Christians before or Jews, Jew, Jew, Jews before. And then you have the Zoroastrians and Allahu Alam, all sorts of the Bahis, etc. Different faiths that have come about from the original one Islam. So Allah Azza wa says, they have all made groups amongst themselves and everyone's gonna come back to us. That's one explanation. The second explanation is that this is from the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa itself. That Rasulullah sallallahu left behind one ummah. And then the ummah afterwards, instead of worshipping one Allah alone, they went into, fell, fell, made into groups. And this is not how it's supposed to be. What has happened? Everyone is thinking, Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Yes, Nabi alayhi salatu has mentioned himself that my ummah will be split into 73 factions. Every single one of them will be going into hellfire except for one. Which one? Ma'ana alayhi wa ashabi. That which my companions and I are on. That is the only saved, saved sect. That's true. You have to always look at that. But now, what has happened within, within this as well, you'll see a lot of name calling that happens. And a lot of uh, people mentioning all sorts of stuff. And so it's like, Everyone wants to claim that they're the army themselves Instead of saying, I'm a soldier of the army of the truth They say, no, I'm the army One man army And so it's us, my, myself versus against the whole world Instead of saying the haq is, I'm with the haq They say the haq is with me So wherever I go, the, I, the haq is going with me And if I'm not there, the haq is not there It doesn't work like that We are blessed and honored if we're with the haq But we cannot claim ownership of the haq We cannot claim ownership of the truth and we cannot sit there and, and always, if a person is performing salah, he's, 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 he's doing all his faraid, staying away from his haram, the basic fundamental aqaid that we're aware of are correct, and he's following a certain scholar. We don't have a right to go call him a disbeliever. We don't have a right to call him a kafir. We, don't, we should not be going calling people deviant. We have to make sure the faraid and the sunan are in the life. Speak about fundamentals of the deen. We should never be pointing fingers at anyone. Whoever calls his, his brother a kafir, then indeed one of the two shall walk away from this conversation as a kafir. If the one you called him a kafir is deserving to be called a kafir, then he is. But if he isn't, then the one who called him a kafir will walk away from this conversation as a kafir. Right? So it is not the place for any one of us to sit there with a kufr stamp and stamping people away as kufar. That is not what we are here for. Nabi ﷺ did not send us for that. Uh, I, one, one scholar was asked, ما حكم تاريك الصلاة? What is the, what is the uh, ruling on someone? I think this was Alama uh, uh, Tantawi, I think so. He was asked, what is the ruling of someone who misses his prayers? You know, people love to hear the answer. But I because your friend who doesn't pray is sitting in the crowd. Right? So said, if someone doesn't pray, what's his hukum? And he wants the scholar to answer. He says, see, there you go, you're kafir. Right? So he said, what is, the, what is the ruling of someone who does not pray salah? And he said, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, uh, yani, uh, sorry, Alama Tahtawi said, Tahtawi said, he said, Hukmuhu, I'm not going to say he's kafir, Mubtadi, or Dal, Mudil, none of that stuff. He said, Hukmuhu an ta'khudahu biyadika wa tathaba bihi la salah. He said, his hukum, the, the injunction about him is that, iska hukum kya hai? What is the ruling on it? That you go grab his hand and take him to the masjid. You go grab his hand and take him to the masjid. This is what you're supposed to do. Why are you asking me to give fatwa here? This is not a place. So when you see something wrong, try to see how you can correct the person, help the person. Not to say, can we get a fatwa and a ruling out against him? So when we, don't, when we lack empathy and sympathy for the ummah, this is what will happen. 
It's, it's very ajib. Some, you know, that how shaitan keeps on attacking us in all different ways. Some through haram, some of different types. They all, all through different types of haram. But what type of haram? Some of it through looking haram, some through listening to haram, some through eating haram, some through earning haram, some through consuming haram, some through missing salah, some through not paying their zakah, some through being, uh, being harsh with their spouse, some, through, some being oppressive to their parents, all this. And then some, they do all of this right. They're the ones right behind the imam. They might be even leading the salah, they're doing everything. But then he still has got to get them. And he gets them by making, think, by making them think that the haq is only with them. And so they will use their knowledge or power or connections or their time and energy to simply vilify people and to call people out and to make people you know to look down upon make people feel guilty about themselves not that I'm gonna go correct them but rather I'm gonna go call them out I am going to make them feel guilty I'm gonna make them feel bad I'm going to talk down to them and so by doing this what happens you create create more factions So, what, ha- what happens? I'll tell you Imam Ghazali rahmatullahi alayhi. Imam Ghazali rahmatullahi alayhi writes that when sometimes shaitan comes to you, it's ajib in Bidayatul Hidayah. He says, La If I remember the words, La shaitan. It shouldn't happen that shaitan should grab you. Shaitan should pull you. Yani Shaitan should grab you. How? He says, It shouldn't happen that shaitan should say, Qulil haq, speak the truth. Speak the truth. And so you start speaking the truth, and your truth is not actually speaking the truth. What it is? It's di- it is creating a division within the ummah. Right? He mentions this in Bidat al-Hidayah. That sometimes in the name of speaking the truth, are you all understanding what I'm saying? A person, is giving, a person is giving a khutbah. Maybe you disagree with him. Not to stand up in the midst of the, midst of the uh, what you call, member in the crowd. And say, brother, get off, get off the member. What are you talking about? This is wrong. Right? I've seen this happen, by the way. That's why I'm telling this example. E, what are you doing? No, I have to speak the truth. I have to speak the truth. This is not the time and place for you to speak the truth. Who are you in the first place? Right? What has happened? He's caused a whole division. Now there's going to be uproar. Push him down, pull him down. Some are going to say, pull this guy down. The other are going to say, pull that guy down. Right? All this stuff happens. I have actually seen this. So much fitna happens. So, yani, a person thinks that I'm here to speak the truth. No one else is following the truth, so I need to do that. What happened? Eventually, by doing so much of this, eventually he got so upset and angry, people got angry at him, he left the masjid and never came back. And I ask about him, till now, did that person ever come to the masjid? I'm asking. They say, you know, this is a different area. So said, no, but we haven't seen him for years. What happened? This happened through just con- this false sense of like, okay, I'm a chosen prophet to speak up the truth. This is what I'm trying to tell you. That person may be doing good things, but there's a way and a place to speak the truth. By you speaking the truth, you may actually cause more harm. It's not, that's why Amr al-Ma'roof is not easy to do. A person, you have to see, do you have the ability to do Amr al-Ma'roof and also openly? Can you do Amr al-Ma'roof openly or not? Can you command people uh, can you command people to openly to say, hey, st- start doing this? Many times if we do that, what will happen? A person will run away. A person is coming to the masjid. He's doing something wrong. If a person goes to that person and he corrects him harshly, what's going to happen? He won't come back again. And three people see him being corrected harshly, they also won't come back again. I don't know if this is true or not, but I was just visiting one community and they are having so many problems, that masjid, 
So many problems. Any, every single time they have a report being made in the county's office or the city office about this violation, that violation, this, they want to buy or purchase the next house, the building next door, expand into it. Every single time, false complaints, also false complaints. And the police shows up and the county people and the city people come and this, that. So what I was surprised to find out that the one who's doing all these complaints is a Muslim. Ah, he's a Muslim and he, he was a convert. Apparently he used to play the drums really loud next to the masjid. There he used to he was a drummer. So when he came to the masjid once, the imam, the previous imam, I don't know how many years ago, chewed him out really bad. So he got so upset, he said, I'm never gonna come back here. And apparently he has never come back, at least over 10-12 years. Never come back. He lives right next to that masjid. He may go to another place. But now he's made it his lifelong purpose to sit there and cause issues and problems for the people of that masjid. Became a fitna. This imam became a fitna. So sometimes we are trying to do something beneficial, but we end up causing major harm. So this, this section of Bidayat al-Hidayat, that's why the book, Beginning of Guidance of Imam, Imam Ghazali is a great book for all of us to read and reread. So he just speaks about that don't let shaitan present to you a falsehood in the form of truth or goodness by saying, come on, stand up and speak the truth. In reality, he just wants you to cause disruption. That's all I'm trying to tell you. Disruption and chaos is worse than murder. So wherever we are in a masjid or a community, let us not cause fitna. If anything needs to be corrected, do it in a sane possible manner. If you are sincere and you have ikhlas, you will make the right decision. But I promise you, it's so scary that people who have reached this level, that they're doing all good things and they have good amal, what happens? They, they misread their own ikhlas. And they think the method that I am doing to correct someone or correct the community or correct the community leader is right. When there's nothing right about it, it's all wrong. The methodology that they're using is so wrong that it actually pushes away hundreds of people from the deen. Because if a person really cared about something, he should have gone and spoken to someone. Like you talk about Shu'aib He speaks about how to give nasiha. All the prophets do, but Shu'aib salam's ayah is beautiful in Surah uh, Hud. This is beautiful ayah of Surah Hud. He is known as he is known as Khatibul Anbiya. And so uh, this ayah uh, he mentions about six qualities of a da'i. Someone is inviting towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what are the six qualities he has to have? And so we don't need to, we won't get into this whole ayah, but I just want to mention the fact that one of the things is, this is ayah number 88, 88 of Surah Hud, 88 of Surah Hud. So, the, uh, uh, this ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that, uh, that, I only want rectification. I don't want to, uh, you know, call you out for the sake of calling you out. I don't want you to be uh, you know, dismissed in the community. I don't want you to be disrespected. That's not the maqsad. The maqsad and the purpose is islah. Rectification. And so do you think by calling someone out in public, will he be rectified? Try that with your own son and daughter at home. Right? When all the relatives are over, why don't you scream at them? And say you did this wrong. Right? In front of everyone? What will happen? Will they come right? So when you, your own children, you won't do that. Why we do that to people outside? Because you know, and if you do that to your own children, then may Allah give you guidance. Because that doesn't work. 
So we should not do that to anyone that in public we sit there and scold them and thinking that, that they will come right. That means there's something dal mekala. Right? The intentions are not right, more than likely. That's why they're doing this. If you really care about someone, quietly go and speak with them. And inshallah, and if they, if they do not repent, and they're causing uh, confusion, and they're leading people astray, then an academic paper can be presented proper. Definitely, that's possible. Our, our ulama have written, rudud, have written uh, articles, papers, books, on the deviances of individuals who are deviating people from Qur'an and Sunnah. When you try to reason with someone and they don't, and they are thinking that they are actually on the right path, then those things, they need to be corrected. There is a place for that definitely as well. So the gist of this ayat I wanted to say was two things. One is how all the, nation, all the, all the nations of all the prophets were one ummah, but they, they chose to become separate. And Allah says, all of you are going to come back to us and we'll inform you who was on the right, who was on the wrong. Or it means after Rasulullah's passing away, it was one ummah, but then there are people who divided the ummah. So brother, deen is fiqh also, deen is sharia also, deen is tasawwuf also, deen is tazkiyah also, deen is uh, what you call nasheeds also, uh, deen is dhikr also. There's so many beautiful aspects of the deen. It's not my way or the highway, my rigid way. Because some people only do one. Other people say, no, only you're going to speak about Rasulullah that's it. Other people say, no, we're only not going to speak about Rasulullah we're going to speak about Allah. How is this deen? Some people say, we're going to only talk about fear, 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 punishment. Other people say, only talk about love, love. No, it doesn't work like that. You have to have this and that. You have shariat and tariqat. You have to have the external aspects of the deen. You have to have the internal aspects of it. That's the beauty of it. If you just do, if you just do, if you just do only external aspects of the deen, and you take out the love aspect of it, then subhanAllah, dry, is, dry deen is like dry twigs. You know, any, any small fire, any small match will, will, will light up. Khalas. You need muhabba. Muhabba in love is like moisture. Right? MashaAllah, it protected from any type of fire. So if you want people to be long-term Muslims, you need to be well-greased. A lot of WD-40. What is that? That's mahabba. When you have mahabba of Allah, mahabba of Rasulullah that's like the grease right on there. And so it will be keep on, the chain will keep on moving. And at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. A lot of mahabba. But what is the use of just mahabba if you don't have shariat? I just love Rasulullah I'm not going to follow his sunnah. How does that work? Right? So this is why our ulama have done, mashallah, the ulama that we learn from. And who's the knowledge that we learn from that we pass it down here in this institution? We're such amazing, uh, amazing group of ulama who, who, who joined Shariat and Tariqat so beautifully that they had the external aspects of the deen. They were number one in fiqh and amazing in hadith. They'll sit there and for three hours will go into the sharh of one hadith on the chain of narration. But at the same time, then they will sit and cry also when they hear about, when they share with you the stories of the narrators and their amazing lifestyles. And they will also never miss their dhikr, never miss their dua, never, will also speak about the importance of spirituality. That's what it is. You don't just take one and leave the other. And subhanAllah, we need that type of sanity today. We need to present a complete version of the deen. Not just taking one and leaving out the other. Allah Azza wa says, whoever does any good deeds, and he is a believer. These are the two, two important points I mentioned twice already. Whoever does any act of righteousness and is a believer. وَهُوَ mu'min, And he is a believer, what happens? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَا كُفْرَانَ We shall never allow his effort to be denied. Okay. If you do two things, you will never be denied the reward. In the dunya, you might get denied. Your credit card gets denied sometimes, right? Like, what? I have so much money on this card. What's this? It happens. Right? There's something wrong. Allah says there's no such thing as request denied. 
Every single good deed Every iota of good deed shall You shall see its reward Kufran Isn't this amazing? Allah didn't have to say this to us Allah didn't have to say this to us His, his love for us And His mercy upon us That He's saying it That I value everything you do He could just throw it right back at our face And he say Whatever you did You did it because I've given you the ability Do something without me involved Can we? Do something without me involved. No, don't use my eyes. I want you to get your own. Don't use the, you won't use your ears and hands and feet that I give you. I want you to use your own. Okay, I want you to eat risk that comes from someplace besides the heavens. Hmm? Go do this good deed on the earth besides this earth. What are we going to do? So Allah could say that. But He is so kind and He says that, look, if you do anything, I'll make sure you will definitely see its reward. Okay, then people, you know, sometimes they're worried if it's not written. Imagine you own a house, but the deed is not there. Just a piece of paper. A car, but you don't have you know, it on paper. <clears throat> What's going to happen? You get worried. Someone else can come claim this car. Someone else can come claim this house. So you won't have the title. Everything there. Similarly, Allah says, okay, okay. If you like written, no problem. I'll have it written. Every good deed you've done, I'll have it written. So just relax. Don't think, about it, you know, because sometimes we get bechen. Very worried. Where's the, where's the receipt? Where's the receipt? I need to make sure everything's written. Allah says, okay, if that's what you want, guess what? We'll have everything written. Any good deed, anywhere, anyhow, you've done, whether the world, no one in the world has seen it, we are seeing it. We are aware of it. Forget about the angels. Number one, we are aware of it. And we will make sure it's written. And you will not walk away without seeing its full reward. What a beautiful ayah this is. Such a, such a great targhib, an encouragement for us to run forward in doing good deeds because the world may not appreciate you, but you don't need the appreciation of the world. That's the beauty of it. You know, some, sometimes we do an action by, I give him a gift. He didn't even turn back and appreciate me. There you go. That's the, maybe the only gift that will be accepted by Allah. All the other gifts, you got a heftier gift in return. You spent 50 bucks, he gave you a $100 gift. Huh? You, you, you gave him a $50 gift, he invited you to your house and fed you all this stuff. By the gift where you give someone and he doesn't even turn back and say, Jazakumullah khairah. He never even responded back to you. He never did anything. And you're getting upset about that? Why didn't he appreciate? What's wrong with people? They don't care about? You're upset, frustrated? Brother, that might be the only act of kindness that you have done that will actually had a chance of getting accepted by Allah and you're ruining it by complaining. Don't complain. Why didn't someone appreciate? Why didn't someone think? Hey, you need to speak about it. You should, we should teach ourselves this lesson. Whoever didn't thank Allah, hasn't, whoever didn't thank the people hasn't thanked Allah. But you know, they say, what they say, karo peko, karo peko, right? Do the good deed and do the good deed and throw it into the ocean, hoping that you'll get, it will get accepted by Allah subhanahu wa taala. Don't even look at it yourself. Don't be proud of what you have done. Thank Allah for what you have done and just get rid of it. Don't sit there counting. Oh, mashallah, this is what I did. So remember, when people don't appreciate what you have done, these are the few moments. May Allah give us tawfiq for practice what I'm just saying right now because it's a tough pill, bitter pill to swallow. But when you do good to people, be it your kids, be it your parents, be it your siblings, and of course, outsiders. When they don't appreciate what you are doing, this is the ultimate test of ikhlas. That is why, I, I, I remember when in the six sifat that we, start, we, go, we talk about in the path of Allah Azawajal, when we go out in Jamaat, we talk about six sifat, six qualities. We say ikram, and after ikram comes, ikhlas. Because you can't do ikram, real ikram if you don't have ikhlas. You can't do real ikram. That's just like 
external being nice with people. Inside, you know, everyone does that. You smile at people when you hate them in, also inside. You're smiling at people. That's not ikram. Ikram is you're, you're going out of your way. And you want nothing in return. For the sake of Allah, you're giving it. You can't do ikram to your own wife or your own husband if you don't have ikhlas. Because sooner or later, your wife is going to say something that's going to upset you. Your husband's going to do something that's going to upset you. And then what are you going to do? You're going to respond back in evil. You're going to give up. You're going to say, I'm not going to do anything for you. There you go. That's the proof you don't have ikhlas. Right? That, that's a big issue for all of us. Because so much of what we're doing is simply because other people are reciprocating what, reciprocating what we're doing. Where's ikhlas in that? Ikhlas is when no one is reciprocating and appreciating what your efforts are. Even your own spouse. Yet one way street, you keep on, you keep on doing it. You keep on doing it. That's what mashallah is a test, testimony of your sincerity. Remember this ayah all the time. That Allah will not uh, deny your rewards. Alright? Allah Azza wa Jal will make sure every single thing. Indeed, your actions is what I preserve. Rasulullah said, Allah SWT says in Hadith Qudsi. I'm not writing in a book that doesn't anything belong there. Whatever is in here is what you did. Whatever you do is coming here. That's it. فَمَنْ وَجَدَ خَيْرًا Whoever finds good in his book of deeds, فَلْيَحْمَدِ اللَّهِ Then he should thank Allah for وَمَنْ يَوَجَدَ غَيْرَ ذَلِكَ And whoever finds in his book of deeds something that is not good, فَلَا يَلُومَنَّ إِلَّا نَفْسَهِ Then he should blame no one besides himself. I didn't add anything. I didn't add anything. Who is, how can Allah add anything in there? He says, I'm putting in here exactly what you've done. So, ikhlas is not easy. And so great way to test our ikhlas is in dealing with people who don't appreciate what we do. At the same time, we should ask Allah that He doesn't allow us, doesn't make, doesn't test us with such people. Don't test us with such people who don't appreciate it. And I'm, I, there is a dua for this as well. Right? There's that, uh, uh, that a person be saved from such people who are ungrateful. Yes. So there's nothing wrong with making such a dua. Ya Allah, save me from an ungrateful, ungrateful spouse. Make my spouse, full, make my spouse absolutely grateful. Make my children grateful. Make my parents grateful. Make my siblings grateful. And whoever I do anything good to, allow them to all be grateful for what I do. This is great. This is a great dua. But in the case you get tested by someone being ungrateful, then don't throw out the action. وَحَرَامٌ عَلَىٰ قَرْيَةٌ But for any sinful city that we decree to destroy, their return to faith is thereafter forbidden. Okay, so this ayah, there is multiple meanings of this. It possibly means that one, let's look at the translation here. Any sinful city that we have already decreed to destroy, but we haven't destroyed it yet. We haven't destroyed it yet. They will never make tawbah. Because Allah has decreed for them to die and go to hellfire. If it's already decreed that they're a sinful city, sinful group of people, and they're headed to Jahannam, then they're not going to repent. Whatever you do. That's one meaning. Another meaning is, another meaning is that any city that we have dis, di, uh, that we have already destroyed, they're gone. The first explanation is they haven't destroyed yet, but we mean we plan to destroy. This means that we have already destroyed them. It's haram for them to come back to the dunya. It's haram for them to come back to the dunya. Meaning, once you're dead, you're not going to come back to life and make toba even as much as you want to. That's obvious. Third meaning is, any nation that we have destroyed them already, it's haram for them not to come to us. What it, which means? They must come to us. Double negative. 
double negative. That it is any nation that we have destroyed, it is not possible that they don't come to us. It's not like, oh, that's the end of a nation. They were bad people. Well, guess end of story. No, 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 not end of story. This is the beginning of the story. Beginning of the story. A sinful person when he dies, you say, rest in peace. No rest in peace. Punishment forever. Forever. There's no rest. There's no peace and there's no rest. When a disbeliever dies or a sinful person dies, the real adab begins then. You thought he was suffering in this world? No, no. A person who dies without iman, a person who dies without good deeds, then the punishment begins as soon as he, the real punishment begins, when, as soon as the soul pulls out. And a believer, no matter how difficult a life he had, but if he had true belief in good deeds, as soon as he passes away, alhamdulillah, there's peace and comfort beginning for him. So we should not think that the death is an end. Like we say, oh he was a... Non-Muslims who don't believe in Akhirah will say, he was such a horrible monster, but he got, you know, he should have been tried and, and, and thrown into jail for 25, 50, 60, or you know, 10 lifetimes, life sentences, but he was killed in the you know, raid or whatever. No, that's not the end of it. Who said just because he got killed was the end of justice? The, you can, even if you did 30, 60, 70 years of jails, and the real justice would begin after he would die. If he was a uh, sinful uh, oppressor. So this is what this ayah is telling us, that anyone who's done sin, or a nation that's done sin, don't think that they're not going to come back. In due time, when the barriers are open for Gog and Magog, and they swarm from every elevation. And the true promise of resurrection day has drawn so very near. Then it shall be the eyes of the disbelievers shall bulge out. Shall bulge out. And they will say, Oh, woe to us, Truly, we were heedless of this. Rather, we were wrongdoers. Means, rather, we were wrongdoers. So in this ayah, Allah Azza wa Jalla speaks about, Ya'juj, Ma'juj. What is the connection? One connection is, Allah is speaking about the fact that those who commit sins will have to come back to Allah Azza wa Jalla on the Day of Judgment to face their punishment. And when will the Day of Judgment come? How, what is the, one of the major signs of it? The coming out of Ya'juj, Ma'juj. That's one of the major signs. That's the connection of that. Now, what is, what is this makhluk? Some have said that this is just an unknown makhluk. Allah Azza wa Jal knows whether, you know, how they will look and so forth. That's, that is um, an opinion there. We don't need to get further into that. Allah knows, but when it happens, it happens. Others, and, and we, talked, we read Surah Al-Kahf. And in Surah Al-Kahf, we read the last portion of Surah Al-Kahf where Ya'juj, Ma'juj are mentioned behind the wall, right? And when they'll say, Insha'Allah, and, and they will eventually be able to come out. So, based on, on maybe what we talked about there, there's that opinion that they haven't come out yet. How and when they'll come out, Allah knows best. Where they are, Allah knows best. We know we're here, and we know we're more than likely gonna die before they come. We have to prepare for our day of judgment. Right? We should, we should, it's interesting to study about the signs of the hour. It's interesting to study about the day of judgment, definitely. But man mata faqad qamat qiyamatu, whoever dies, his day of judgment begins as soon as he dies. So let, let our study, let not our study of the day of judgment and the signs of the day of judgment, you know, make us heedless of preparing for a day of judgment that is definitely going to happen, which is our death. We're not going to see, is this on fatarat? We're not going to see all that. Right? We're not going to see, yeah, Jews, my Jews, more than likely. We're not going to see these other things if, in this, if in, based on the tafsir that they're going to come out at the later times. But then there is an opinion of many ulama and many scholars that Ya'juj, Ma'juj have already broken the barriers. And they're already here. 
And what is that? This is speaking about the fact that the average, basically society today. Society today of people who are in Hadabiyan uh, Silun, swarming from every elevation. We're, you know, we're 8 billion people right now, right? We hit that, hit, that, hit that number last week or something. And it keeps on increasing. So we are, we are uh, you know, exploding, population exploding everywhere. And is the population of Mu'mineen exploding? Of course not. Population of people who are every single day getting further away from Islam. Further away from any religion. From any belief in the unseen. From any type of divine guidance. From any sense of morality. Yeah, Ajuj Ma'ajuj, when it's just, it's just tamasha, basically. When the kids run around like crazy. You have all the little kids running around. Ajuj Ma'ajuj, what is that? It's just complete chaos. People running on top of each other, here and there. So, point, without any purpose, without any mission, when you have billions of people roaming around the earth, who don't believe in God, who don't believe in anything divine, and who are fulfilling every lustful desire of theirs, and they are trying to do worse and worse, and they hate God, they hate Allah, as mentioned in the hadith of Yajuj Majuj, that they will kill, eventually they will kill everyone they can, and then they will, they'll hate the hatred for God. They'll say, we killed everyone on the earth. We have to kill the one in the heavens as well. And they'll shoot up arrows or some sort of missiles. And as a test for them, Allah will allow those missiles to come back with blood on them. So now you have hadiths that speak about what will happen at the end of times of Ya'juj Ma'juj. What about that? If, if, if Ya'juj Ma'juj is already here, then what about those hadith? Like, like for example, um, just to give an idea of what are the a hadith regarding that. Nabi alayhi salatu salam has um, mentioned in Sahih hadith of uh, in Sahih hadith regarding this. Uh, Abu Sa'id Khudri radiallahu anhu says, I heard Rasulullah saying, Tuftahu ya ajuj ma'ajuj fa'ikhrujuna ala nas. The doors will be open for ya ajuj ma'ajuj and they will come out upon the people. And that's when Allah says, They will be swarming from every elevation. ثم يهز أحدهم حربته ثم يرمي بها إلى السماء فترجع إليه مغضبة دما للبلاء والفتنة فبينما هم على ذلك بعث الله عز وجل دودا في عناقهم كنغف الجراد الذي يخرج في عناقه فيصبحون موتا لا يسمع لهم حس فيقول المسلمون ألا رجل يشري لنا نفسه فينظر ما فعل هذا العدو قال فينحدر رجل منهم محتبسيبا نفسه قد أوطنها على أنه مقتول فينزل فيجد موتى بعض ما لا بعض فينادي يا معشر المسلمين ألا أبشروا إن الله عز وجل قد كفاكم عدوكم فيخرجون من مدائنهم وحصونهم ويسرحون بمواشيهم ويسرحون مواشيهم فما يكون لهم رعي إلا لحومهم فتشكروا عنهم كأحسن ما شكرت عن شيء من النبات أصابته قط قط أخرجوا إمام أحمد so this hadith here إمام رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم speaking about what will happen towards the end of times it doesn't necessarily mean that the Ya'juj Ma'juj, as soon as they come out in the world, have to do what I'm going to translate. You're wondering what happened over here. I'll translate it. Right? It doesn't mean as soon as they come about. So let's say that this, this modern, modern man, the postmodern man, maybe, right? That is causing so much corruption everywhere. Everywhere. Got their fingers in everything. Right? 
so that as soon as he comes about he is going to finish up all the water no there will be a time when the, they will be continuously causing fitna and the height of this fitna will come during the time of dajjal so nabi ali sallallahu alaihi wasallam saying that when the, when these when the, when they come with their like final attack they will be attacking the attacking humanity attacking the muslims and the muslims will run away from them into, and hide in their cities hide in their forts and they will grab their animals and go with them then these yajuj majuj will use up all the resources of the earth they'll drink up the water of the earth or burn it up or drink it up they'll use it and they will uh, leave it to such an extent they'll they will dry up the resources to such an extent they will people will pass by lakes and say what there was water here there'll be nothing left and then every single believer will be hiding in a fort or in a in a city somewhere far away from these people then they will say we've finished we don't see humans or muslims anymore we probably killed them all let me let us kill those in the heavens and they'll throw their spear up and allah will send it back bloody as a source of fitna then in this case and in this situation after they have pretty much think thought they've killed everyone allah will send a sickness a virus dude a worm in their necks and this what will do it will instantaneously overnight kill them all they'll all die so once they're all dead the muslims are wondering we didn't hear anything we haven't heard anything of these people so far and now we're running out of resources and everything <sighs> are they still alive they'll be so scared so they will t- they will make tashkil and they get one person ready jawab please go and spy please and allah will give you jannah they'll give they'll prepare him like that so then he will pretty much prepare himself for death and he'll say okay i guess i'm ready to die as a shaheed and he'll go when he will peek up he will see everyone is absolutely dead right everyone not a single person alive but what will happen it will be filled with unbelievable stench of all the dead bodies then just as miraculously allah killed them allah was miraculously send birds from his army wherever they are hiding right you have these stealth bombers you know they show up out of nowhere right where are they hiding what happens if we humans can do this why can humans can send uh, with refueling t- tankers can send you know bombers from other end of the world to do a mission and come back right subhanallah then why can allah azza in his vast universe have these birds ready in stock to to attack and to come in overnight take all these dead bodies and they'll go get rid of them somewhere else in the graveyard that we don't know where that where that graveyard is and then allah azza will send down the rain and then the rain will come and wash off it will be clean detox right clean clean out all the dirty filthy blood and all the other stuff of these dead bodies smell be gone and that's when the muslims will enjoy absolute prosperity that they have never had before so this is the final sign so basically what we're saying is that according to this opinion which is held by many ulama the yajuj majuj are, are out and it will just get worse and worse that the majority will just be going getting crazier every day the majority yajuj majuj getting crazier every day they'll just in their sin and their hatred for god and their hatred for allah their hatred for the people of deen and their fush and their everything else you can you can name it they are going to do the unthinkable just like worse than animals and they will be the majority but they're not going to always be there eventually when allah wills towards the very end of times when the, when the, the, the dajjal will be around right around that time after the dajjal leaves then these people because they need to help the dajjal probably do his work too so after the dajjal leaves then they will do their final attack and then they will also be wiped out so whether they're coming or they're already here we know what we got to do we have to focus on ourselves which is iman and amal salihah 
doing our, making sure our faith is strong and that we try our level best in doing good deeds. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal Almighty to grant us the tawfiq to have the strongest levels of iman, strongest levels of haya, best of akhlaq, and allow us to do such good deeds that we will, we will uh, be able to reap the efforts, the rewards of it uh, afterwards. Inshallah, tabarak wa ta'ala. Yeah, so inshallah, a couple announcements as we have going to pull up the Q&A QR code. Um, inshallah, tabarak wa ta'ala, we have a uh, an amazing workshop taking place tonight. I'm sorry, uh, Friday night. Well, there was a little bit of a problem in, in getting the word out and making the flyer earlier on, so I apologize for that. But inshallah, this is our monthly seminar. The first one was on abortion. Remember, after COVID, the first one was abortion in October. In November, we had the Sira conference, so we had no workshop. Because Sira conference was on the second Friday. And then now we're going to have. Inshallah, the uh, workshop this Friday evening after Salatul Isha uh, for youth and parents of um, the community. This workshop is titled um, Raising Children. I think it's called Raising Children in the Era of Dopamine. And so it's going to be presented by Dr. Jawad Pervez. I was a psychiatrist, a local musalli here as well. And he will be speaking about practical advice for parents to understand and navigate through various challenges faced by Muslim youth today. Really great topic, an important topic. And inshallah, he will be presenting it from um, a different perspective than maybe you usually hear. So I request everyone to please mark your calendar for this Friday after Salat al-Isha. Make sure you're here. And make sure you invite as many friends and family to attend this important workshop being held by Dr. Jawad here. And uh, spread the word. It will be, of course, also on the um, YouTube channel for those from out of state. Additionally, uh, I also want to mention that Alhamdulillah, we've been having great attendance for Team Fajr. MashaAllah, 80, 90 at least are sitting for the talk. And then we have the breakfast as well, over 100. This past weekend, I heard, Alhamdulillah, the South Indian brothers did a breakfast and their families, and we had, mashallah, I heard 200 people present. So we request you to attend and benefit from the amazing uh, food, uh, soul food, um, or food for the soul, and then food for the stomach, right? Both. So, uh, I, I, but along with that, there is, we, we're looking for some sponsors for breakfast. So please, I request you, inshallah, if you can text message uh, the masjid number, or if you want to sponsor, or you want to meet Mona Farhan in the back right here, uh, uh, mashallah, all of you know him. So if you want to uh, sponsor a team Fajr breakfast, meet Mona Farhan. Additionally, if you're on the YouTube channel listening, you can, you can uh, send a message there or send a message to the masjid number. Either way, More, sponsorship is not about just paying the four or five hundred dollars. That's great. You're going to get the reward of 200 people, 150 brothers, sisters who come to Fajr all the way in the cold and listen to a talk and eat and then do great rewards after that. Great you know, actions after that You're going to get the ajr for that So we should all strive to do that But beyond that Being a sponsor means You're hosting this breakfast That means You are going to invite people To say this is my breakfast I'm, Instead of inviting you at my home Because I cannot fit 200 people at my home I will invite you to 21W525 North Avenue That's a new address For this morning's breakfast You send it out like that And inshallah Invite your family and friends That's it So because of you because there are people who will say They won't come to the masjid For Fajr But because you are inviting them For a breakfast And you're following up with them Say I'm waiting for you I'm expecting you to be there Then mashallah they will come So you got the reward of getting people to the masjid for Fajr 
who otherwise may have not been able to do so. I cannot imagine the reward for that. And then they're gonna sit, listen to the talk, they may repent, do tawbah, they're gonna join the vicar. Amazing things will happen. So I request everyone here who has the ability to do so, to become a sponsor for one of the team fajrs. You can, I mean, you can do it two months later, one month later, but we've run out of sponsors right now. So I know, there's, I know there are brothers, may Allah bless them, reward them, those anonymous souls whose credit card is here. Say, so anytime you need a sponsor, my card is ready. MashaAllah, that's great. But I don't want that. I want others to get an opportunity. Right? So I want others from different communities to be able to get an opportunity to invite their family and friends like that. So please do so. Additionally, uh, we have, alhamdulillah, an, uh, a, um, uh, exciting news right now that we, uh, that we will, inshallah, in less than two months, we'll be having our um, annual community dinner and benefit banquet uh, on Saturday, June 28th. You can see the beautiful flyer there. And this is going to be with our honorable guest and scholar, uh, Imam Zaid Shakir, who will be joining us. And we're very, very excited, alhamdulillah, that although he doesn't travel much anymore, he's on a sabbatical leave, but subhanAllah, he has obliged and he said that he's, he will come uh, for because of the love he has, alhamdulillah, for all of you and for this community and for the institution here. I'm very appreciative to him that he accepted our invitation. Uh, so actually his uh, uh, agent, his, the one who does all his booking said, no, 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 he doesn't speak anymore, khalas is done. Alhamdulillah, I, was, I spoke to him directly and booked his ticket and mashallah, you know, informed his uh, the one who does the scheduling that khalas, this is the ticket, he's coming. So alhamdulillah, inshallah, he will hopefully will be here. I hope there's no difficulties. And so patrons and professors, a lasting legacy of Islamic scholarship is this year's theme. Um, we request you to please mark your date in your calendar right now, January 28th at Shalimar, as we usually do. And uh, the tickets are for sale. So please purchase them, inshallah. The sooner you do, the better. And this will help us um, get some great, good momentum. So I want you to please keep in mind for that. We've uh, uh, started our, our text message reminders. So please, inshallah, if you, can, if you can scan this QR code, if you're not already getting reminders, please do so right now. And um, alhamdulillah, the salawat goal was completed. Uh, as you are aware, I want to thank the students who went above and beyond. Uh, what they were expected but then there were certain classes that were really really out outshone the rest so we had a big pizza party for those classes two from the hips class uh, three or three or so from the island class yesterday mashallah we had some great nice pizza and spent the teachers spent time with them and appreciated the uh, the effort that these students did into doing thousands of salawat every day when we had that uh, drive going on now the next drive has begun which is the istighfar drive uh, we are going to inshallah uh, I have a goal of between now and January 28th, the night of our fundraiser, to also complete uh, a large number of istighfar. And there's cards, um, uh, cards outside uh, that are that, the salawat on this green one. This is red, right? So please, uh, please pick up your cards on your way out. You have the QR code as you're doing your 10, 15, 20k. It's very simple, very easy, mashallah. And you can scan the QR code and. Um, uh, and deposit your istighfar Try to do uh, at least Let's take a small number You know, 500 a day uh, 100 after every salah Astaghfirullah, 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 astaghfirullah 100 after every salah And we will see amazing barakah What did Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say? One of the many ahadith Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said Man istighfar Whoever holds on to istighfar Whoever does istighfar profusely And that's what's mentioned in that card there Ja'alallahu min kulli hammin faraja Allah Azza wa Jal will uh, make, an, uh, uh, make an ease out for every difficulty for him Create an avenue out every, every tight spot And Allah will provide for him sustenance From where he cannot imagine So we're always sinning 
All of us. But so what, how do we get rid of the wrath of Allah from us? By constantly doing istighfar. Continuously cleaning. We're so, we've learned how to wash our hands multiple times a day. Right? That's how we gotta do. We have to do istighfar regularly to cleanse our heart and our mind, our soul from the filth that has come upon it. And then we have, alhamdulillah, our annual retreat coming about, a uh, uh, winter retreat uh, in the next two weeks. December 23rd to December 25th. This year's retreat is about maintaining morality, how to cultivate Islamic identity. We have uh, multiple scholars from out of state, as well as overseas from Canada coming in, or, you know, across the border rather. Uh, and amazing talks. The details are, go, just go to masjidiyas.org forward slash winner. Dear friends, three days of classes from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Plus meals, lunch, best lunch, mashallah, for $50. Right, all three days, including coursework, everything. So this is an early bird special. And we request you to quickly register for that. As always, if you know someone who can't pay for it, alhamdulillah, that we, you know, that's fine. There'll be, there'll be someone else who will be willing to pay for them. Inshallah, we can get that. So don't, if you know someone who cannot afford $50, it's okay. But alhamdulillah, Allah has blessed us all. We can afford $50, especially when meals are also included. For three days of education from 10 a.m. to 6. You have young children, 10 ages 10 to 12. There is one uh, parallel workshop. All day, from 10 to 6, all your 8 to 10 year olds will be in class. That sounds like, that's worth $500, right there, right? And then, those, then if you have 10 to 12 year old, you have another parallel workshop. And boys and girls classes are separate. So there's five parallel workshops. 8 year old boys, 8 year old girls. 10 year old boys, 10 year old girls. And then the adults, right? Alhamdulillah. And then the women have some of the girl, women's sessions will be women only as well. We'll have separate female speakers as well. So please spread this word if you're listening online. Out of state, you can book your hotels uh, across the street from here, from the website. Muslim-owned hotels across the street. The masjid will be open for i'tikaf during those days if you want to stay here as well. Um, Insha'Allah. So I hope that's it for the announcements. A couple of um, questions. How can one try to make someone? How can one try to make someone have haya and implement modest clothing? Yeah, that's a tough one. You can't force anyone to have haya. What you can do is you can allow them to witness people of Haya, allow them to sit with people of Haya, allow them to sit in gatherings. The beautiful benefit you get over here coming to the Darussalam seminary, as I'm talking about the students, boys and girls, you know, most of the stuff, learning happens non-verbal. Non-verbal. I even ask them, sometimes they stand up and say something amazing. I said, did you ever say stuff like this before you came here? Like no, I said. Did I never heard my? I ne, did any teacher say to say like this and to think like this? This is no. I said, yeah, that's the power of, of learning from you know breathing in the air over here. You learn things, you learn hayat, you learn modesty, you learn taqwa, you learn what it means to remain on sunnah. So this is something what I would say is just connecting them to gatherings like these and institutions like these. Inshallah, Taala, hayat will come about within them and making lots of dua for them. is covering the face for a woman part of haya. So they are, issue of niqab is a debated issue. Some say it's wajib, some say it's not wajib. Um, but a person should try their best to uh, at least not make their face, uh, you know, put on makeup, etc. when they're going outside. That's at the very least a person should do. And nowadays everyone's wearing masks. So a person were to wear a mask with that niya of covering themselves up too, mashallah, then that's, that is also great. But if a person doesn't do that, then we're not going to say that they don't have haya. The only thing is that a person should refrain from dressing up to a degree the way they would dress in a women's only gathering. We should not dress like that when we go outside.
Hurs are they a different makhluk or wives be made into hurs? Hurs are a different makhluk and the wives will be the amir of the hurs. Just think you thought you could run away from your wife? <laughs> right? No. She's going to be the amir of the hurs of Jannah. Okay, but mashallah, you'll be different and she'll be different there. Allah says everyone who goes into Jannah, all their hearts will be absolutely clean for one another. Uh, uh, can you can you exp- uh, explain ninety five? Uh, there's no there is no uh, what you call uh, one specific opinion to my knowledge that is the most true. There are all of these are true. Any nation that's been destroyed is not going to come back. That's true. Any nation that is destroyed will definitely go face Allah on the day of judgment. And number three, any nation that's been destined to be destroyed will not make tawbah. So. All aspects of, of the ayah, all can be taken, all are acceptable. Should we use Mo and Billy instead of Muhammad and Bilal? No, I don't think any one of us would agree with such usage of names. Is Dajjal already influencing the world who is still locked up and not doing any damage yet? To, to, Allah knows best, again, the answer, but it seems like whether Dajjal is doing it or someone else is doing it, yani Iblis is doing it, you can see that Dajjali era is here, that a lot of things that Dajjal will like to do and want to do is being, the world is being prepared for and facilitated for his arrival. Not, not to say he's doing it himself, but he himself is an agent of Iblis and Iblis is a creation of Allah. So uh, uh, efforts of Dajjali fitan are taking place right now. How do you deal with criticism from people about always giving helping hand to others? They say things like, they don't help you when you need it, so why are you? <laughs> yeah, this is uh, yani, whoever's saying this to you, they're saying it probably because they love you, your parents for example. But you need to make sure, yani, you should help people all the time, but not at the cost of harming yourself. Right? That's the thing. Sometimes you have homework to do. It's due tomorrow. And the same person who never listens in class, never shows up, and he shows up and says, can you help me? Okay, I'll help you. I could have helped you yesterday. I can help you, you know, tomorrow. But right now, I got two hours to the left. I got to focus on this. So, for example, maybe your parents are looking at that perspective. That you end up helping people while at the cost of harming yourself. So, you can help people. You should always help people. But also take care of your basic necessities as well. How to attain barakah in this time and age? What, what, what is the best way? The best way is that we reduce our uh, time with the gadgets. Right, the, the less time we have with gadgets, the more the more time we'll have. Okay, and then there is a person who, Subhanallah, um, what is the right way to suggest hijab to a lady who is a non-mahram? <laughs> this sounds a bit, you know what I mean. So uh, maybe you should find a spouse who already has wears hijab, right? Uh, that would maybe make it easier. And if the spouse you want to marry doesn't wear it. Then maybe uh, you need to somehow encourage her parents to connect her to the gatherings of deen. And then once she starts wearing hijab, then it will become easier for you to you know, propose to her. And then I want to say is that sometimes when it comes to thinking about sin, dear friends, if you think about sin all the time, sometimes this goes to like a level of OCD. For example, some, sometimes people are such, they think, I've, I have to deal with people, they say, I probably am a non-Muslim right now. And you tell them why. They said something. They say, you're not. This doesn't take out the full Islam. And the next day they'll call. And the next day they'll call. So I've, I've seen this sometimes that OCD comes in different forms. And one form is for a person to always think that I'm sinful. To a degree that oh, I'm going to go to Jahannam. And no matter how much I repent, nothing's happening. 
and or I've left Islam or my talaq my ta- I said something and I'm divorced now so this is a problem the pro- you need to seek Allah just protection from shaitan and read and read all the verses in which you seek protection from shaitan the seven sevens that I always recommend do that Focus that, Ya Allah, this thought that I keep on having, that I'm never going to get forgiven, and I'm always sinful, and everything is happening in my life because I did this. That is a very, you know, uh, uh, what you call, a fatalistic approach to life. And it's, that doesn't help you. And you shouldn't be like that. You need to be hopeful when, when dealing with, uh, with your own sins. You sought forgiveness from Allah, and then you move on. If you're constantly repeating the same thing again and again, this is not healthy. Yes. Any obsessive, obsessive compulsive disorder. When a person keeps on repeating something again and again and again. Like some people, they keep on repeating wudu. Right? Again, they think, oh, I, didn't, I left my hand dry. And they keep on do wudu 45 minutes. So it's a mental, yeah, shave. Uh, shak. Maradu shak. Yes. So this is maradu shak. It also yashmulu al-dhunub. And then daiman yatafakar anum with him. He always thinks he's sinful. So this is also, uh, you know, one of those things. يعني دعاء protection from وساوس of شيطان وقرب عودك عن همزات الشياطين وعودك ربي أن يحضرون أن معوذتين etc etc. May Allah make it easy for all those who have other unanswered questions. As always, if you have a, a big fiqhi question, you can always reach out to masjidds.org forward slash question masjidds.org forward slash question for more detailed uh, questions. Inshallah. Okay.